Love you, old man. <laughs> I like to tease him because we're the same age, although he's, he is older than me. Yeah, you are. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> uh, what a blessing. You know, uh, one of my favorite sayings, and I, I heard it years and years ago, it says that the Lord loves you the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. And another one is that the Lord never leaves any of us the same way he found us. And so thank God for that, you know, because he does a work in us and changes us. And the Christian life's all about transformation. The Bible says if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, all things become fresh and new. So what, when we come to church like this and come study the word and, and, and come listen to the teaching, my, my hope and prayer is that all of us would come with an open heart, a teachable heart, and say, Lord, what is it, like Mike was saying, what is it that you want to do in my life, or how do you want to change me today, and what areas need to be changed in my life, you know? Um, he who began a good work in us is going to carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So there's always work to be done. We're a work in progress. Amen? All right. If you have a Bible, open your Bibles up to the book of Revelation, chapter 3 this morning, as we continue our study through the book of Revelation uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And we begin this morning in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. And to the church, or to the angel of the church of Laodicea, write, These things says the Amen, the faithful, and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were one, or excuse me, you were cold or hot. I got the NIV in my brain. I uh, wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. The, and anoint your, your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, this morning we come to the, the last letter that is written to the church. And as we come to this last letter written to the church, to the church of Laodicea, we are coming to a, a letter that the Lord is really... Has, I believe he had a heavy heart in writing this letter or speaking to this church. And the reason I say that is I lost my spot. The reason I say that is because as you look at this church, this church was a backslidden church. And this church was a lukewarm church. It represented a church that, was, that had drifted far away from the Lord. And it was not walking with the Lord. They were not close to the Lord like they should have been. And when you look at church history and, and you look throughout church history, some, some people like we've talked about say that these churches that we're looking at represent different t- 
times in church history. The church that we looked at last week, the Church of Philadelphia, um, many believe is a last days church, and also the Church of Laodicea. But they're so different because one church was stellar, it's outstanding. The Church of Philadelphia, the Lord had nothing bad to say about that church. And then you come to this church this morning, and this church, uh, I mean, to put it lightly, is repulsive to the Lord. It's repugnant, revolting. And so when you look at the, the way that the Lord deals with these different churches, it's, it's quite a bit different in the way He speaks to them because one, He gives approval to. Uh, he's proud of that church. He commends that church. The other church, this one, is lukewarm. And He does not give approval, but disapproval. They're, they're not on fire. They're lukewarm. They're, they're, their flame is barely flickering, if you will, or if at all. And so the evaluation is so different between the two of these churches. I don't know if you guys are coffee drinkers. Any coffee drinkers in here this morning? Yeah? We had a lot of them in the first service, a lot of coffee drinkers. I'm not a coffee drinker. I don't like coffee. Um, and I've, I've only drank coffee in my lifetime. I mean, I could probably count it on one hand. I just don't like the way it tastes. But a lot of people like coffee. But most people, when they, when they get their coffee, they like it hot, Right? Uh, if you get a cup of lukewarm coffee, it's probably not that great. Um, or there's some people that like cold coffee. Do you, any of you guys like cold coffee? Some? Yeah, I, I guess there's cold coffee now, all kinds of different kinds of coffee. But you know, anytime something's lukewarm, usually people don't like it. Uh, you know, get a lukewarm Dr. Pepper, or a lukewarm Coke or Pepsi, you're probably not going to be all that thrilled about it. Or if you get a lukewarm bowl of oatmeal, you know, you want it hot or... Or, you know, you get a lukewarm steak or a, you order trout and it comes out from the, from the restaurant lukewarm. You're going to probably say, you know what, I, can you heat this up for me? And so the idea of being lukewarm is not a good thing. So Jesus tells this church, and in the King James Version, he says that he's going to spew this church out of his mouth. Spew thee out of my mouth. The New King James uses a, a, a more vivid term. I will vomit you out of my mouth. And so... You know, you look at this, and the idea is that this church, because it was lukewarm, was nauseating to the Lord. It was making the Lord sick, you know? And so, why do you vomit? Why do you get sick? Well, you get nauseated, and then usually you vomit, right? That's sort of the idea of what's going on here. Last May, my son graduated from, uh, from college here, and he got his degree in teaching, and so we had a, a, a big old celebration for him there in Las Cruces, and his, uh, his uh, fiancé's family and our family, we all got together and we rented this big old house and, and we had a big old celebration. But something bad happened while we were there. The flu, the stomach flu, started going through the house like wildfire. And I think it was Buddy Boy that started it off. I don't remember one of them. He starts throwing up and I felt so bad for him, you know, and he was staying in the room with us and poor little kid, I, I timed it. He was vomiting every five minutes like all night. And, and then, you know, one of the times he threw up and I went in there and he's laying all curled up in the, in the little closet not too far from the toilet, you know. I guess he figured it's too hard to get up from the bed and go there. And so, you know, then, it, then a few hours later, my wife gets sick and she starts to vomit. And then we find out everybody in the house is vomiting. It's like a vomit fest, you know. It was, a, it was horrible. And we're just sweeping through the house. And then, and then, you know, Dia's in there vomiting. And my daughter's come in to check on us. And, and she's in there vomiting, you know, by the toilet. And I'm, I have a trash can. I said, she's hogging the toilet. 
you know, and I'm throwing up in the tra- trash can, and it was just a horrible thing. And, and you know, <laughs> it, was, it, it went by quick, but it was horrible while it lasted. And we were all just feeling horribly, you know. And so nobody likes to vomit, but it, it's kind of gross. It's horrible, right? I, 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 one other quick, I, I shouldn't be telling you all these vomit stories, but, you know, one other time uh, I, I talked my wife into going camping. She does not like to hunt or fish or any of that kind of stuff. And, and we were going to go on a camp out with the church and, and we were taking a bunch of the kids to a fishing trip. And I talked her into going. I said, come on, hon, it'll be fun. It'll be so neat. You know, and, and so we get up there, we get the pop-up all set up and that night we go to bed and we had a big barbecue and all the kids were eating and stuff. And then we go to bed that night and about one in the morning, and there's a bunch of kids staying in our pop-up trailer with us, you know, and the kids are spread out all over the camp and stuff. But, we had quite a few of, of in there, and I and I just hear this. I hear this like at one in the morning, Dad, Dad, and I go. I wake up. I'm like, huh? I go, what, what, what? I go, Ajane, is that you, Dad? I feel like I'm going to throw up. I go, well, go outside, and all of a sudden I hear, Bwah! and I'm like, oh no, you know, and, and I'm like, get out. And she's like, Bwah! she just throws up all the little hallway in the pop-up trailer. And she's out there. And poor Dia, you know, I, I tell her it's going to be a wonderful trip. It's going to be fun. And here we are, you know, vomit stinking up the place. And, and here I am sweeping up little hot dogs, you know. And I'm like, I, I go, girl, you need to chew your hot dogs. You know, why aren't you chewing these hot You know, it was really, I, sorry, it's so gross. But my last name is gross, right? So I had to tell you a gross story. But it, it was horrible, you know. <laughs> so the idea that Jesus is telling this church, I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth, is not a good thing. Not good at all. And he's writing this to a church, to believe, professing believers. And so when we look at this, you know, we need to recognize that the Lord is not pleased with this. Now maybe you're here this morning and you need to do a heart check. We always should do this. But, you know, what's our commitment to the Lord like? Is it lukewarm or is it hot or are we cold? Where are we? And if you're here this morning and you have one foot in the world and you're trying to live for the world and pursue the world and, and, and you know, your heart probably is divided and you're not really living for the Lord and, and that's a dangerous place to be because we see that strong warning given to this church in verse 16, so then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. What sobering words from the Lord that this church that was half-hearted in their commitment or lukewarm in their commitment was nauseating to Jesus. You know, it's one thing for someone to say to you, you know, you make me sick. And there's another thing when the Lord says to the church, you make me sick. That's not a good thing. So as we look at this, you know, we see this church and now remember this was an actual church that that existed in John's day. Uh, but also many believe it speaks of, like I said a while ago, of the last day's church. And we said it, Philadelphia, faithful, last day's church. Laodicea, unfaithful. Lukewarm, apostate church. So as we look at these two churches, and we see there's a big contrast between these two last day's churches in their level of commitment and in their practices and also in their destinies. And the spiritual reality is this, that truly our level of commitment directly coincides with our destiny. So our place in the kingdom, as we have observed and seen in these seven letters, is going to really be dependent upon our faithfulness now in this life. 
And so everyone's going to have a place in the kingdom. And we know that the Christians that were, that were faithful to the Lord in these letters get a promise of exaltation and a promise of privilege in the kingdom age. Now, on the other hand, there were warnings given to those who were unwilling to repent in the church. And some of what Jesus says is not pretty, as we're going to see as we close this morning in this last letter to this last church. And so when we look at these letters, one of the things that we see is that there are, and it's important, important for us to remember this, there are consequences for living a lukewarm, backslidden life. And Jesus called almost all of these churches, with the exception of two of them, to repentance. And in this case, he says, you're lukewarm and I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. Now Sardis, remember uh, the dead Protestant church, if you will, he called them to repent. And he said, if you don't repent, he said, I'm going to come to you like a thief. And he says, you're not going to expect it. And then, you know, he, he warns them about blotting their names out of the book. And then, he, of course, he talked to the, the corrupt church, the church of Thyatira, and he warned them that, that if they didn't repent of their corruption, they would be thrown into the great tribulation. They would be thrown, thrown, uh, thrown onto a, a bed of sickness and be killed. So there's some heavy, heavy consequences that Jesus gives and warnings to these churches. And so we should not ignore them and think, oh, it's not talking to us. Now, like I said before, I hope and pray that every one of us in this room are, in our commitment to Christ, are considered by the Lord as he sees us, the church of Philadelphia and not the church of Laodicea. I hope that we are hot, that we're on fire for Jesus, that we truly are committed believers and that we're Christians who keep his word. That was the one of the things that the Lord commended the church of Philadelphia, he said, you have kept my word. I hope that we are progressing and we are maturing as Christians and that we're, that we're reading the word of God and feeding ourselves upon the word of God and that we're listening to it, that we're applying it and that we're living it out in our lives and that we're not denying Jesus' name. That's what he commended that church for. So I hope and pray that we're in that group of believers because back in verse 10, he promises us some, them something amazing. Look at verse 10. He says, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I believe this is speaking of the tribulation period, the great tribulation that's coming in the last seven years. And he said, you will be spared from that. You will be kept from that. And the word literally means to be kept out of it, not to go through it. So this is an important thing. So for us as Christians, if we're professing to be Christians and yet we're living a lukewarm life, this message hopefully will stir us to stop playing games, to really get our hearts right with the Lord and begin to live totally sold out for the Lord, not living a lukewarm, half-hearted Christian existence and not at all you know, wanting just to kind of go through the motions and punch in the time clock and all of that. No, we really want to live for Christ. Now, he, he gives us three temperatures here. He says, hot, cold, and lukewarm. The believers that are on fire for the Lord, he, he calls them, you know, he wants us to be hot. He wants us to be like that. And then there's cold. And what's cold is just dead, like a corpse, you know? I've never felt it. Well, I've felt a couple of corpses because of, you know, 
being what I do and then um, my grandma passing away and I remember I put my hand on her in the casket and it was just cold, dead. And that's where some people are at spiritually. They, they have no spiritual life. They're dead spiritually. They're not born again. They're lost. So there's cold and then there's lukewarm and then there's hot, right? But even lukewarm is bad. And so look at verse 14. He says, And to the angel of the church of Laodicea write, These things says the Amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. He starts out here with a revelation again of himself to this church. And he did that to all the churches. And they were unique and they were, they were fitting for the, that particular church. To this church, he says, he introduces himself as the Amen. He uses the word Amen. Now in the church today, we use the word Amen quite a bit. Um, some churches, you know, when you go to church, amen, amen, you know. And, and uh, the Hebrew word means surely or truly or truth. It's used to express a person's agreement with something. So if someone says a prayer at the end of the prayer, we all say amen. We're saying so be it. So it is. May it be fulfilled. But amen is also the Old Testament title of God in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 16. God says, I am the amen. And now Jesus reveals himself here as the amen. In other words, he is the truth. He's the final word. What he says will be fulfilled because he's the amen. He's God. Now it's interesting that Laodicea basically means people ruled. This was a church that was ruled by the people or people governed. It is not supposed to be like that. So when Jesus comes along and he says, I am the amen, he's saying, I'm the final truth. Not you guys. I am the final truth. One of the greatest hindrances to the church and the church faces today is the church itself, the people. When the people begin to rule their own lives instead of Jesus ruling their lives. When the people begin to make decisions instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to lead and to guide either as an individual or as a church. You see, when, when the committee makes the decision instead of the Holy Spirit, that's a dangerous place to be. When that starts to happen in a church, the church will begin to become lukewarm and begin to die even. Now, let's never forget when we talk about Jesus being the amen, that he has the rule and the final say over our lives, not us. That we're never to let um, our desires or our will supersede the Lord's will. We should always be willing to submit our will to the Lord's will because he is the amen. He has the final say. Next he says too, he's the faithful and true witness. Now here was a church that was unfaithful and not being a true witness. So he presents himself as a faithful and true witness. You see, the church is supposed to be, we're supposed to be here on the earth representing Jesus. That's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be witnesses for Christ. So Jesus is a faithful witness, and often we are not very faithful. He's a true witness, and often we are not being true witnesses or representing Jesus like we should be. You know, when you look at the life of Jesus, one thing's so amazing, well, everything about him is amazing, but he was faithful in all things. And he was the true witness. He was able to say, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. And he could say, follow me. And he always did the will of the Father. Always was true, a true witness. He was, always, he was always telling the truth. He lived for the truth. 100% of his life from start to finish was all about the Father and doing his will. 
So he was a faithful and true witness. Now I pe- meet people sometimes, and here's what people will say to me. They'll say, well, you know what, I used to go to church and I got hurt by the pastor. I got hurt by the people in the church. They were hypocrites or, you know, the church, you know, that that church did this or that. And, and you know, you kind of start hearing, well, they, they weren't really a faithful and true witness for the Lord. But what I say to them is this, because a lot of times we don't represent Jesus like we should. But here's the thing. I always tell people, you know, you are never to put your eyes on men. We are to keep our eyes on Jesus because Jesus is the faithful and the true witness. He's the one that we're to follow. Jesus never, like I said last Sunday, Jesus never said, come follow my followers. He said, come follow me, right? And men will fail you. I can tell you that. Men will fail you. Churches will fail you. And the thing is, is that Jesus will never fail. I have failed. You know, if, uh, you probably already know that, right? You, I've probably failed you. You probably had an expectation. Pastor Joseph didn't do this or he didn't do that. Well, you're not supposed to keep your eyes on Pastor Joseph. I'm trying to follow Jesus, but you need to be keeping your eyes on Jesus. We're all to be following him. And so Jesus is the one that does not fail us because he's faithful and true. John 1.14 says, Jesus came from the Father full of grace and truth. Jesus is truth. The law came from Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. In John 18.37 it says, For this cause I was born, Jesus says. For this cause I came into the world, that I should bear witness or testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth hears my voice. And so Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Well, who's the truth? It's him. When you know him, he's the truth. You'll get set free. Now, he also says in verse 14, the beginning of the creation of God. So he's revealing himself and then he says the beginning of the creation of God. Now, this little phrase of Jesus here has thrown the cults into uh, an excited frenzy. And the reason I say that is because the cults love to jump on this verse and say, see, Jesus is created. He's not God. Because it says the beginning of the creation of God. The Jehovah's Witnesses say that Jesus was not God, that he was the archangel Michael, a created being. The Mormons say that he was uh, Lucifer's brother. And so there's all these weird ideas about who Jesus was. But this verse is not saying that Jesus was created. What it means is, The word that's used here, the beginning of the creation of God, the word beginning is the Greek word archaea. And it means the source or originator by which anything begins, the active cause. And so Jesus is the source, the original, the active cause of the creation. That's what this verse is saying. Jesus is the one who created all things. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 says, all things were created by him. By who? By Jesus. And all things were created for him. He is before all things, and by him all things consist or exist. Jesus holds all things together. He is everything. John 1.3 says, All things were made by him, and without him nothing was made that has been made. That's who this is talking about. He's the beginning, the originator, the source of all creation. And he's showing us again who he is. That he initiated, he originated Everything of creation. When you look around and everything that you see, he made it. He created it. He designed it. So we need to be aware of the cults because the cults will often try to reduce Jesus to someone less than he really was. And they preach, in doing so, they preach a different Jesus and they preach a different gospel. 
And I've said it so many times, to be wrong about the identity of Jesus is to be wrong about salvation and to be wrong about eternity. So we have to beware because there's so many false teachings about Jesus. Another thing that this refutes when he talks about here in in this verse, verse 1, or verse 14, verse 1 of our text, verse 14, he says, uh, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God or the origin of the creation of God, the one who created all things. You know what this also refutes? The teaching that our kids are getting fed in our public schools, evolution. That everything came and we evolved from slime and then, you know, and then we turned into a monkey and then whatever. You know, all that craziness. Jesus is the creator. And here's what gives you value. Here's what gives me value. The fact that we are created. And the Bible tells us that we are created in the image of God. He made us in his image. We're unique in all of the creation. We're different than the animal kingdom. Another thing that you look at, at the creation itself, this world is incredible. The universe is incredible. It has incredible order and incredible design. Why? Because there's a designer. It didn't just blow up. You know, the whole idea of, of there's this explosion and the chaos uh, turning into order is absurd. It's not absurd. It's not even good science. It's a violation of the second law of thermodynamics, which says everything goes from order to disorder, not disorder to order, like they're saying. And so Jesus is the creator. There's order and there's, there's design because there's a genius behind it. Now, Jesus gets immediately into this church and gives them a condemnation. There's no commendation to this church. Nothing good to say about this church. It's sad because he starts out with a rebuke, a condemnation, and we see again repeated the words that we've seen to the other churches in verse 15. I know your works, that you were neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. He says, I know your works. The thing that Jesus reveals to us here is that he is all-knowing. He knows everything about every single one of us. There's nothing that, that the Lord doesn't know about you. There's nothing that he doesn't see. He understands everything about us. He created us. He formed us. He shaped us in our mother's womb. He has watched every single day of our lives. Our days are even numbered and ordained by him. So he's not unaware of anything. Romans chapter 2 tells us that there's going to come a day when we, where God will judge each of us as individuals. And it's interesting, it tells us there in in Romans chapter 2, according to what we have done. And so when he's saying this to this church here, he says, he says, I know your works. I, I know that you're not hot and I know that you're not cold. He's telling these Christians, I know where your heart is at. And in Romans chapter 2, verse 7, it says, To those who by persistence and doing good seek glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. But, but uh, there will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. And so don't, don't ever be deceived into thinking that God doesn't see or know everything that we're up to, because He does. He knows our works, whether they're good or whether they're evil. Now remember the word consequence. I mentioned it earlier. There are consequences to how we live our lives. Eternal consequences. This church had nothing good, which is sad, 
So he says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were, he says, I wish you were one or the other. I wish you were either cold or wish you were hot. So what we learn here is that men have the ability, we have the ability and the responsibility to, uh, to make choices. And then those choices that we make, they have consequences. I think there's a lot of people who have deceived themselves into believing that they can live a, live a lukewarm Christian life, live however they want to, just be a Sunday Christian, or, you know, I don't think we should really call it a Christian life. Let's call it maybe a lukewarm religious life. And they think, well, you know, I can live like that. I can still get into heaven. I do not believe that that's going to happen. You see, you're either a saint or you're an ain't. You're, there's no such thing as in between. You know, Jesus, there's things that Jesus said are real heavy. And then there's things that Jesus never said that we think he said. <laughs> this is one of them. Jesus never said this, but sometimes I think people think he said this. Hey, if you want to be my disciple, you can keep part of your life and give me part of it. Take part of the cross and follow me whenever you feel like it. But you don't have to go all the way and die to yourself. That's going overboard, and you'll still be okay. He never said that. He said, if anyone desires to come after me, he said, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. See, there's nothing in anything that Jesus ever taught us of half-hearted commitment. Jesus taught us that it is all or nothing. But I think some people, what they want is they want Jesus as Savior in order to get fire insurance. Oh, I said the sinner's prayer. Ah, I got fire insurance, you know. But there's never ever indication in Scripture that Jesus ever gives out fire insurance because he tells us if you want to be my disciple, you need to count the cost. You need to take up your cross daily. It's all or nothing, Jesus said. Now how can you tell if you're a lukewarm Christian? If you're a, I would call you a Doobie Brothers Christian. Jesus is just all right with me. Remember they sang that? Doobie Brothers, by the way. Doobie means the stoners, you know. And so anyway, yeah, yeah, Jesus is cool, man. Yeah, Jesus is cool. And there's a lot of people that are sort of like that. They're not against Jesus, but they're not really for him either. You know, they're, you know, I can do with Jesus or without him, or I can do with the Bible or without the Bible. You know, Bible study, church, ah, whatever, you know. They're complete, they're, you know, complacent, they're indifferent. They don't really have a hunger for the Lord or spiritual things, and they're not really running the race or walking with the Lord daily. They're just sort of vegging out. If you asked them, do you believe in God? Oh, yeah, of course. Do you believe in God? Yeah, Jesus is just all right with me, man. He's, he's a cool dude. The man upstairs, you know. And you hear people talk like that. But here's the thing is that there's a lot of people that are so lukewarm and they're not really at all living for the Lord. They might even come to church week in and week out punching the time clock. But they have no love for the Lord. They have no passion for the Lord. They have no hatred for sin and a love for purity. Jesus is not number one in their lives at all. He's way down the list somewhere. And you know, I call upon him if I need him like a 911. Yeah, I got him on my, on my phone list. There he's down here, number seven, 911, Jesus. You know, that's how a lot of people are with the Lord. So if that's you this morning and you're Mr. and Mrs. or Miss Lukewarm, this, you need to listen up to this sermon because this sermon applies to you. If Jesus isn't your all and he's not your Lord and your master, how do you expect that he's going to claim you as his own in the end? 
See, the way I read the Bible, if Jesus is not Lord, then he's very likely not even your Savior. And so Jesus saves us, but he, he calls us to commitment. He calls us to be submitted to him. And I don't think, oh, I know there's not. There's not going to be a lukewarm section in heaven. Oh, yeah, these are, yeah those are lukewarm section over there. They don't live in mansions. They live in huts. You know, No, they're not even going to be there. Here's the thing. There's not a lukewarm section in heaven. There's not a section in heaven for the kind of, well, he's kind of a Christian, almost a Christian. Here's the thing. The bottom line is if you're not hot now, guaranteed you're going to be hot later. All right? But not in heaven. And so Jesus says in verse 16, he says, listen, he, he tells them here a strong warning. He said, so then because you were lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Heavy warning. So where are we at this morning? Are we hot or are we lukewarm or are we cold? You see, if you're hot, you're, you're living for Jesus, you're on fire for the Lord, you're committed to him, you love him, you're serving him. If you're lukewarm, then you're backslidden. And you're in danger of being vomited out. And if you're cold, you're just dead. Spiritually dead. You're not even born again. And so we should all be willing to take an, an examination of our self-exam and see where we're at this morning. Because you know what? We need to make a decision now to follow Christ because if you're waiting till later on or you die, it's too late then. If you die in a lukewarm condition, Jesus says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And if you, if you are, are not living for the Lord and the Lord comes back for His church and you don't have oil in your lamps, do you think He's going to take you? He's not going to take you to be with Him. You'll be left behind. And you know, so many people have said, oh, well, it's okay. Well, if I'm not really living for the Lord and then the rapture happens, then I'll realize that Christianity was really true and I should have listened to Joseph. Well, but it's okay. I'll get saved during the tribulation. I'm telling you this. If you can't live for Jesus now when it's easy, how are you going to live for the Lord when it's guaranteed it may cost you your life and you might get your head chopped off? You can't buy any food. You can't put gas in your car. You can't go out. You'll be hunted if you don't have the mark of the beast. How are you going to live for the Lord? Like, ironically, another dangerous place to be is the religious person who goes to church and they're kind of a spiritual goody two-shoes. Maybe they're a church member and they think to them, themselves, you know what, I don't even need to be a radical Christian really sold out for Jesus. I'm a good person. You know, my good works are going to outweigh my bad works, so God's surely going to let me in. Why should I surrender everything to the Lord? Or they'll say, I'm one of those, I'm a Christian, but I'm not one of those fanatical, born-again Christians. You know what a fanatic is? A person who loves Jesus more than you. That's what a fanatic is to most people. So the word lukewarm here is a word that is associated by Jesus of nausea. I will vomit you out of my mouth. Now, those kind of people are in great danger, according to this text. And they're in danger because they're self-deceived and they can't see that they're sinning, they're messing up, they're blowing it, and they, they think, well, I'm still good enough to make it to heaven. G. Gamble Morgan said this, lukewarmness is the worst of all blasphemies. Why? Because they, they all have the trappings of being a Christian, but no real heart commitment. It's all show and no heart. No real fruit. It's just plastic fruit. I uh, was going to share with you something that I found in one of my commentaries and I, I forgot to get it. 
And then I looked, at, looked on, the, on this and I found it amazingly. It's crazy the stuff you can find on here. There's good stuff you can find and then there's a lot, a lot of bad stuff too. But I wanted to read this to you because this was written on a, in a church cathedral in Germany. And so on the way out, you could stop on the way out and read this before you went out. And this was, it's really convicting to me. But it's the Lord speaking. He says, you call me master, yet obey me not. You call me light, yet see me not. You call me the way, yet walk me not. You call me life, yet desire me not. You call me wise, and follow me not. You call me fair, and love me not. You call me rich, and ask me not. You call me eternal, yet seek me not. You call me generous, yet trust me not. You call me noble, but serve me not. You call me mighty, but honor me not. You call me just, yet fear me not. And then he ends by saying in this one sentence that carries so much weight, he says, if I condemn you, then blame me not. Wow. How would you like to read that on the way out of church every week? <laughs> kind of shake you up a little bit, right? But that's what he's saying to this church. The church of Laodicea, lukewarm. Look at verse 17. He says, Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. That was their own self-evaluation. That's how they saw themselves. But look how the Lord sees them. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So here's this church. Now, a little background about Laodicea. This city that was existed back then, this church that existed back then, of all the seven churches or all the seven cities, Laodicea was the wealthiest of all of the places. Very wealthy, very affluent. And it really does coincide well with the modern day church today, the last day's church, the church of Laodicea. Because much of the church of America is super wealthy. And whether we care to be honest enough to admit it, wealth has its own built-in temptations and downfalls. And another thing is that wealth is not necessarily a sign of God's blessing or favor, even though it's preached like that. The prosperity gospel, the false prosperity gospel of America. If, you, if you're serving God, then God wants you to be wealthy and healthy and, uh, and you know, never be sick. And he wants you to have lots of money. And the preachers that preach that, they have on Rolex gold watches. They have gold rings on. They have a Rolls Royce parked out in the, in the pastor's sparking spot so they can show their wealth and that God wants to prosper you. They have their own jets. One guy had two or three jets. Well, the other one I have, I, I, it's really kind of messing me up because uh, I have to stop and put fuel in and God wants me to be more efficient. So I need a jet that can fly farther. So would you send me $13 million, you, you my faithful people, so I can serve God better? Like, oh. And so here's, the church is a lot like this. It's very wealthy in the United States. But how sad it is that, you know, the, the way the Lord looks at them and the way that they look at themselves completely differently. They prided themselves. They had all of these things. They, they prided themselves that they were rich and they were wealthy, self-sufficient, independent, spiritually complacent though. They were lukewarm. And it often happens when we prosper. It often happens when people prosper, they have a tendency to forget about God. 
In the book of Proverbs, Agar said, Give me neither poverty nor riches, because if I have too much, I'll forget about you, Lord. And if I, if I, don't, ha- if I don't have anything, I have a poor, I'll dishonor you by stealing. Just give me my daily bread. But sometimes when you have everything, and here's what they were saying. They were saying, I have need of nothing. Which unfortunately, obviously included the Lord because we're going to see He's outside of the church knocking to get in. We don't even need God. We have everything we we need here, you know. And so it led to apathy and, and laziness and complacency, indifference. If you think about it, what motivates us to pray to the Lord every day? You know what motivates us, a lot of us, to pray to the Lord? We have needs. We acknowledge our need. We pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread because we need the Lord's provision and we understand that. So what drives us to look to God? Well, we, we need Him. We need what he, what he has promised to give to us. But when you're so prosperous and you have everything, the temptation is to forget about the Lord. And that's the downfall of many churches, including this church, which became so affluent, so wealthy, that they, didn't, they thought they were rich. And they didn't even know that they weren't rich. They were spiritually wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And I think that's a good description of a lot of the church today. And so Jesus wasn't, com- he wasn't pleased with their condition. They were pleased with their condition, but they were not pleasing in the eyes of the Lord. They were nauseating to him, and they were wretched. They had no relationship with the Lord. Their condition was bad. They thought they were rich and wealthy and need of nothing, when in reality, they were spiritually bankrupt. They had no treasures in heaven and God sees that person as really being miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And you look around, like I said, at the modern church and I think this describes the modern church in a pretty good way. You know, what's the best description of its condition? Is it the one you give yourself? You know, if you could, if, we have a tendency when we think about ourselves or we think about how we are, we grade ourselves pretty highly usually. But it's not how we grade ourselves. It's how does the Lord grade us? And that's, this is it. The Lord is grading this church. He's saying, look, you guys are, are wretched, miserable, poor, blind. You're naked. That's his evaluation. And you look around at the church today, and so many churches have huge, extravagant buildings, multi-million dollar facilities, millions of dollars in assets, millions of dollars in the bank. I heard of one church and the pastor passed away and they had $30 million in the bank. And you think about it, you know, we went to, Dee and I had the privilege of going to, for I think it was our, how many years we've been married now? 35th anniversary. And we almost were going on 40 now, but we went to Rome. And we went to Rome and man, we went into all these cathedrals and it was crazy. You go into these cathedrals and there is just gold everywhere. Gold, gold, all, almost every one of them. They have security cameras. They have security guards with guns. I'm like, why, why you guys got these guys here with guns? Because of all the gold. You know, it's like, oh, wow. And, and I said, well, how's, uh, why, why is there so much gold? Well, it, we're honoring God. Oh. I heard the story of these two Catholics who were speaking, a bishop and a cardinal. And one of them said, he looked around at the church and all that they had, and he said, isn't it wonderful now you know, when Peter and John were first, first in the book of Acts, you know, they, they had to tell the, the beggar, silver or gold, we have none. 
But what we have, we give you. And, and, and you know, they told that to the crippled beggar. And so the bishop said, you know, that's true, but no longer can we say to the crippled beggar, in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. John and Peter had nothing to give the beggar, but they, could, they had power. They had the power of the Holy Spirit. And now he says, we got all this money. We have no power. And so, you know, what a bad trade-off that is. Smyrna, the church of Smyrna. Jesus said to the church of Smyrna, we learned it a few weeks back. He said, I know your poverty, but you are rich. They were a church that was persecuted. They had nothing, but they were rich in faith. They were powerful. And here's this church. He says, we're rich. And Jesus says, no, you're wretched. You're poor. They had nothing spiritually. Which one would you rather be? So what's the solution? He gives a solution here, which is really cool. I love it. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. So their condition, right? Wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. He's saying, here's how to fix it. Here's what I counsel you to do. Buy gold refined in the fire. Now, when we consider what the Lord is saying here, the Lord's saying, you need to make some changes. And here's the changes. Your life is not where it should be. You are lukewarm, so I'm going to counsel you. Buy gold from me refined in the fire that you may be rich. In other words, get out of the lukewarm rut that you're in. Now, obviously, he's speaking about spiritual riches, saying you need to invest and in, in get things from me that are eternal, eternal riches, putting your treasures in heaven. See, true riches are not measured by the stock market or by the Federal Reserve. They're measured by Jesus. And so if you want to be truly rich, then you need faith. And true faith equals true riches. And so they come through Jesus. And without him, we are in poverty spiritually. So Jesus is the source of true riches. And so this church had everything but what they needed most. They had everything but Jesus. And they needed Jesus. And then he says to them that they were to get, he says to them that they were naked. So he says, get white garments that you may be clothed. Laodicea was famous for a few different things. Like I said, riches and banking. But they were also real famous for this shiny black wool. They made the expensive tunics out of this black wool. Very beautiful. And they, ex they exported them to different places. Jesus said, you know what? You need to be clothed in white garments. The clothing that, of my righteousness. The one that I give you. Clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Not the world's unrighteousness, which is an essential black in comparison. And so they were all worried about worldly fashion. But Jesus says, you're really naked and you need the clothing that I provide for you. And then he says in verse 18 also that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. You know, there's only one thing that can cover over the shame of our nakedness and that is our sin. Our sin is the shame of our nakedness. The only thing that can cover that is the righteousness of Christ. That's why we all need salvation. His blood cleanses us of sin. He clothes us in the righteousness of Christ. And without that, we are guilty and our shame will be exposed. Verse 18 also, he says that they were blind. And so he says that they needed to anoint their eyes with eye salve that you may see. He had just finished telling them they were blind. 
Last thing that Laodicea was famous for was their, their medical stuff, their medical field. They had doctors there. People would come from all over. They had eye problems. They would come to see the doctors there in Laodicea, the rich doctors. They had created this eye salve and it was, it was also exported all over the world, but it was, it was used by so many people. And so he says the problem here is that these people, the church, he says, you're blind. What's he talking about? Spiritual blindness. And so they needed Jesus to touch their eyes with the eye salve of the Holy Spirit, the anointing oil of his spirit, so that their eyes could see because they were spiritually blind. And so he's telling them what they need in order to get fixed. And then in verse 19 he says, As many as I love I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Now remember, he's writing this. I I read a a pastor this week that says, I don't think these guys were really Christians. Well, I think they were because they, they were Christians. They were living for the Lord, but now they're lukewarm. And he says, As many as I love I rebuke and chasten. Well, why does the Lord, why would the Lord rebuke and chasten them if they didn't belong to him or they didn't love him? Or that he didn't love them. Right? They're, they're in the world. They're not even believers. No, those are the ones that are, that are spiritually dead. But he says, I, those that I do love, I rebuke and I chasten. And that's the good thing about the Father. He loves us enough to discipline us. And so he says, he calls them, he says, therefore, be zealous and repent. They were called to get right with God and to repent respond. Now guess what? That is not up to the Lord. It is up to us. The Lord won't make anybody repent. We have to be willing to respond to Him when He calls us to repentance. Are you willing to do what He says? And then in verse 20 He says something kind of shocking. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Now we love to use this in evangelism. We, used, we like to use this verse. Oh man, bro, the Lord's knocking at the door of your heart. You should let him in and get saved. Well, yeah, that's true. But this is talking about the church. He's outside the church. Hey church, let me in. I mean, he's not desperate like that, but still, that was me. But he's standing outside the door, he's knocking, and he's, he's wanting to be in a church that he's not even in. There's no place for him there. So he says, if you open the door, I will come, come into him and dine with him and he with me. And there's a lot of people that that's how it is. They don't really have any room for the Lord. They have no intimate relationship. This speaks about intimacy. He wants to come in and dine. In the, Israel, in, in the Jewish mindset, when you ate with someone, that was a, a, an act of love and intimacy when you ate with someone. And so he's speaking here and he's saying, listen, can you hear my voice? Can you hear my knock? Would you open up? Would you let me in? We have to be willing to do that. And I'm telling you, the Lord is a gentleman. He won't kick the door down. He won't knock the door down. We have to be willing to open the door. And I've seen that really cool picture where Jesus is standing there and there's a door. And if you notice on that door, there's no handle on the outside. They all say the handle's on the inside, right? We got to be willing to let him in. You got to invite him in willingly. And there's nothing sweeter than that intimacy and that closeness with the Lord when we're walking with Him and and, and we sit down and He's there with us to eat with us. Look at verse 21. He says, To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. Can you imagine that? What a privilege. 
as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Now this church, what's cool is this church is not too far gone. It's, it's encouraging in case we're, we're backslidden or lukewarm ourselves. All they needed to do was respond to him and to his counsel. And he says, if you'll do that, the future is bright ahead for you. And we see once again the promise to those who overcome. Jesus says, listen, if you overcome, you'll sit on my throne. You'll rule and you'll reign with me. And that's how it works when we are willing to submit our lives to Jesus Christ. We will rule and reign with him and sit on his throne in his kingdom. And so, you know, what a, what a great exchange. We give him all of our filth, our sin, our junk. You know, we're wretched, we're poor, we're blind, we're naked, we're all messed up. Lord, I'm sorry, I repent. Please come in, take over, rule my life. And then he says, I'm going to bless you if you do that. And you will sit on the throne with me and rule and reign with me. What an amazing privilege that is. So the question for all of us this morning is, what is it going to be, vomit or the throne? (laughs) Spit out or put on the throne with Jesus? What's our destiny? Well, you decide that and I decide that based upon our response. So where do you want to be? The choice is yours. And then if you're not a Christian and you haven't accepted Jesus, I encourage you, you need to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because you're still cold. You're dead spiritually. Lifeless. And the only solution is to ask Christ to come into your life and you will go from cold to hot. He will breathe life into you. Spiritual life. You'll be born again of the Holy Spirit. But if you're here this morning and you're a backslidden Christian and you're lukewarm, then you need to repent and recommit your heart to Christ today and stop straddling the fence. I was sharing in the first service that that I, I heard the term of a person that's a fence straddler. Their, their mug is on one side of the fence and their rump is on the other side. They're called mugwumps. You need to get on one side or the other, not be lukewarm. Because if you're lukewarm, Jesus said, I will vomit you out. And maybe you're here this morning and you're hot. You're on fire for the Lord. Don't stop doing that. Keep on going because there's rewards that are going to outweigh any of the sacrifices or the costs in life now. The world has nothing to offer us. The world is passing away. Store up for yourselves, Jesus says, treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy nor thieves break in and steal. We need to be living on fire, especially in the days that we are now. We, the church, need to be a witness, a faithful and true witness in this generation and bring the message of the gospel to Silver City, Grant County. I can guarantee you You can walk downtown or you can go to Walmart or you can walk in your neighborhood and knock on someone's door and you will find a lost soul. There's a lot of lost people that need Christ. We are living in the midst of a mission field that that needs to be harvested. And so God wants to use us. And so he ends by saying to them, notice he says in verse 22, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so this is a message that is for all Christians, all churches, all believers. And so this morning, I just want to encourage you, if you're here and you're spiritually dead, go in there. There'll be some people in there and they say, man, I want to give my life to Christ. I need to be born again. I'm lost. I'm a sinner. And I need a Savior. And I don't want to perish. I want to go to heaven. 
I can tell you without Jesus, you will perish. You will die in your sins and you will be judged for your sins and you will be cast into the lake of fire. I'm just telling you how it is. You cannot save yourself. You need a savior. But if you're lukewarm, you're backslidden, don't take the chance of the Lord vomiting you out because you are nauseating him. Give your life, recommit your life, begin to live for Jesus, make the most of the time that you have left here in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're hot, man, go out and, and, and spread the light, spread the fire, spread the love of Jesus, because this world is in darkness and it's lost. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Lord, I pray that you would stir our hearts wherever we're at, whether we're here this morning and we are just completely lost and unsaved that we need to be born again. If there's anyone here, Lord, may you touch their hearts this morning and may they get up from where they're at and walk into that prayer room and give their lives to you. And Lord, if there's any here that are lukewarm and they've been living with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom and, and, and trying to serve both, Lord, you, you said we can't serve two masters. Whether you're going to love one and hate the other or serve one and despise the other. And so, Lord, help us not to be lukewarm anymore from this day forward because that's a dangerous place, Lord, you showed us. It's very dangerous. May we be, Lord, hot for you, living for you, sold out, unashamed, bold, fearless, and in love with you and obeying you. May we be the church of Philadelphia and not the church of Laodicea. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. God bless. Have a wonderful week.